Okay, we're in a series of messages on parenthood. How many of you would agree that even if you're not a parent, this series has challenged you? Amen? I mean, even if you're not a parent, even if you think you're beyond your parenting years and all of that, this, this message has principles in, a, in it for daily living, uh, but they apply especially and uniquely uh, to parents as well. We're talking about an Old Testament mother whose name was Hannah. This is recorded in 1 Samuel. So I would challenge you to get your Bibles out this morning if you have them. And we're also going to have some of the scriptures on the screen. We don't put them all there because we often share so many scriptures. Uh, it would just be um, uh, hard to keep up with on the screen. So we just give you the key scriptures and we encourage you that when we give you a scripture that doesn't come up on the screen, that you jot that down in your little notes area there on your little card you got on the way in and really look at that later uh, when you're doing your Bible study. But we're going to get most of our message today from 1 Samuel. It's really important when you're studying the Bible that you ask yourself three questions. What did it mean then? What does it mean now? And what does it mean to me personally? So, so if you want to give yourself a little uh, questionnaire every time you're doing your Bible study, those are three good questions. What did it mean then? What does it mean now? And what does it mean to me personally? Let's look at the setting of this story. It's really important to understand the setting of this story. I'm working with, uh, how many of you know we've got Navigators classes here at this church? Anybody, anybody took any of those classes through Navigators? They're, they're having class right now over in the Impact Building. It's a limited number of students that we can have in that class. But Navigators is an incredible, incredible ministry. And we have the leader of Navigators ministry who attends our church. And his name is Mike Moss. His wife's name is uh, Debbie and uh, they are just doing an incredible job and helping disciple people. And I would encourage you to keep your eyes open about Navigators Ministry and get in the classes. I'm working with Mike now to teach New Testament survey, Old Testament and New Testament survey, uh, because if you can get a survey or a, or a bird's eye view of the Bible, you understand what I mean? Just kind of back away from the Bible and just see the whole Bible and how it's put together. Did you know that that view and understanding that will make the Bible come alive to you uh, when you do the microscopic view of the Bible? In other words, uh, if you understand the Bible as a whole and how the whole thing was set up, then when you come in to look at a verse, it makes that verse come alive for you. So Mike's going to be teaching Old Testament and New Testament survey we're working on that schedule right now. We are going to offer it on a Wednesday evening so any of you uh, can attend. Those of you who uh, lead, we will help you get in on that information as well, those of you who lead on Wednesday nights. But the reason I say that is because in order to understand this story that we're dealing with in the Bible uh, this morning, um, we have to kind of look at what was going on at that time. It was the time of the judges. And uh, it was a very difficult situation, extremely difficult situation in Israel. And it was their fault. Sometimes we go through storms that we created. And sometimes God just allows us to go through storms uh, that he created to test us. Y'all with me? 
And so Israel is going through a storm they created for themselves. The wonderful, wonderful thing about the love of God is that whether you are in a storm of your own creation or whether you are in a storm where he is testing you that you had nothing to do with, he will not leave you in either situation. But he will walk with you through the storm. So those of you who are in a storm right now of your own making, God has not abandoned you. And God wants you to reach out to him even though the storm you're in is one you made, okay? So, so don't, don't feel, don't get the idea that God turns his back on us when we get involved in situations uh, that are negative, even situations that we created. Israel is in that situation in this particular story. It's a time of turmoil and confusion. Samson was uh, dead, and they needed a leader. They were in desperate need of a great leader because of the chaos and the sinfulness that had um, just really um, risen to heights never seen. Some of the worst, uh, most heinous sins ever recorded in the Bible are in the book of Judges. I would, I would encourage you to read that book and study that book as a warning to all of us about what happens when we go our own way and when we get away from God. So um, in the midst of all that, there is a woman that rises up, and her name is Hannah. And um, to introduce her, we read 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, kind of looked at some of the things that she said about God. You can tell a lot about a person by how they pray by what they say when they pray. So we kind of looked at that, and we'll look at it again today at the end of the sermon. We found three characters in this story, three primary characters in this story. Elkanah uh, married Hannah. And uh, Elkanah uh, and Hannah could not have children, and so Elkanah stepped outside God's will, and he took another wife, Penina, did not divorce Hannah. It was a whole different world back then, a whole different culture. And so now he has two wives, and this second wife produces lots of children, both boys and girls. And, uh, and Hannah's here, and all these people are in the home. And what we're doing uh, uh, in this message to make it applicable for us, how does this apply to us, is we have discovered in this passage and in this story Three very distinct qualities of a godly parent. As a matter of fact, they're not just distinct qualities of a godly parent. They are distinct characteristics of a godly person. But uh, we're looking at parenting and how our godliness affects parenting. And so uh, we looked at the first quality and we found that Hannah had a right husband relationship. She was uh, strong in her marriage. Her marriage was strong. You say, time out. Didn't her husband marry um, another woman? Yes. But the Bible also says in 1 Samuel 1.3 that they worshiped together and that they loved one another. And so uh, if you want more information about all that and how all that worked, because it might sound a little confusing to you this morning, uh, go back and listen to that message. You can listen to our messages online uh, absolutely free. As a matter of fact, I think you can actually burn your own CDs, uh, but if you could give me a dollar, that would be helpful. Okay, 
So, I was just kidding. So, Hannah had a right relationship with her husband because they worshiped together. Then in 1 Samuel uh, 1 and 4, uh, the Bible talks about the love that Elkanah had for Hannah. We won't go into all that because we've already done that in other sermons. Then we said that the second quality uh, of, of Hannah that made her such a godly parent was not only that the marriage was strong, and how many of you know and understand today that if you want to be a good parent, one of the best things you can do is work on your marriage. Your children need to sense that love that you have for each other in the home. It gives them tremendous security. I mean, they go to school and hear from their friends about how their parents are separating and divorcing, and those children come home wondering if you're going to do that. And when they hear you uh, arguing or debating, and we know that that goes on even in a healthy marriage, then you need to sit down with them and explain to them. When they see you loving each other, when they see a healthy marriage in that house, it causes them to be healthier as children. And the people said, amen. We're talking about emotional health and primarily spiritual health. So Hannah had a right relationship not only with her husband, but she had, number two, a right relationship with heaven, a right heaven relationship. Now the reason we know that is because Hannah was deeply hurt. You remember that? You remember the layers of hurt? I mean, she gets married and everything's wonderful, can't have children, hurt number one. Husband goes and marries another woman, hurt number two. The other woman has all kinds of children, hurt number three. Those children running around the house, you know, and they're not hers. And, and I mean, you can just see all kinds of opportunity for Hannah to be angry and bitter and, and to reflect that and express that and take revenge out on Elkanah and take revenge out on Penina because Penina didn't only have children, but she mocked Hannah for not being able to have children. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that Hannah lashed out at anybody. So we see a woman under those circumstances, not lashing out at anybody. And I'm going to stand here and be honest before you today, don't know if I could have done that. Y'all look holy out there, but I know you guys too. It would be hard to do, wouldn't it? Not lash out if that was the circumstances of our life, but she did not. Uh, it appears that she kept a sweet spirit. And the reason she did and was able to do that is because she did not take her wounds to other people. She did not blame her wounding on other people, but she, she took her wound to the Lord. She took her wounding to God. And we talked about this last week in great detail, and I'm tempted to just get right back into it this week because it is such a powerful and important part of this message. But I'm telling you that every one of us sitting in this building today have been wounded at some level. Some of you sitting here have been deeply, deeply, deeply wounded. You've been abused by people you thought would love you most. And that causes deep wounding. And I'm saying to you that there is healing for you in the Lord. But if you, if you because of that hurt, handle it in a different way, that wound will only grow deeper and it will only grow more infected. And we talked about that last week. As a matter of fact, we have a ministry in this church called Elijah House Ministry that deals uh, specifically with uh, severe wounding and wounding of any, at any level, anyone who needs help with that. And we would encourage you to, to seek out the leaders of that ministry. If you want to know more about that, uh, just contact us and we'll tell you who to talk to about that. But there's healing for you. 
And, and I just feel prompted to pause right here for just a minute and say that in this house right here this morning are some deeply, deeply hurt people, and you need some help with it. You need to talk to somebody about it. And, and uh, we have some people you can trust uh, that it will be held in the strictest confidence, and they will help you. You say, well, Pastor, have you ever had uh, ministry from that group? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. As a matter of fact, I went off a few years ago and spent a weekend uh, with some people who um, are, are full-time in that ministry in another part of our state and uh, just got some wonderful ministry for me personally and some tremendous healing for me personally. Uh, I'm not ashamed to stand up here and tell you all today that I, that I have wounds. And, and when I reacted wrong to the wounds that were in me, it made my wound worse. And when you are wounded and you react to that wound in the wrong way, that, that's sinful. And so God wants to bring healing in your life. And I'm thankful for that weekend I went away and spent with that wonderful couple who just ministered to me privately um, um, on a Friday evening, Friday afternoon and evening, and a, and, a, and a Saturday morning session. It was just a wonderful time, and I do believe in that. I do believe there is a specific ministry for that. And I've said enough about that and didn't really mean to say that much about it, but I really uh, felt prompted by the Lord uh, to say that because I think there are people in here who need it. Is that okay? Everybody all right with that? Amen. Um, we know Christians have issues, don't we, in this church. And, and the worst thing you can do is pretend we don't. And pretend that because we're Christians, we don't have issues. That we don't have hurts. We don't have stuff that needs to be healed in us, even though we know Jesus. I'm telling you, if a church teaches that and purports that, uh, they, are, they are putting a pressure on their congregation not to be real. And when you can't be real, you won't get healed. Amen? Amen. you got to get real, man. you got to get real and, and expose that wounded place in you and let God bring healing to it. All right. 1 Samuel 1.10, she talks about her wound. 1 Samuel 1.10. Now, that scripture is not going to come up on the screen, but I want you to notice it and listen carefully to me. 1 Samuel 1.10, the Bible says, And Hannah, she was bitterness of soul. She was bitterness of soul. Now, this is a very, very, very godly woman. But she had a wound in her. And the Bible says, and she did two things about that wound. She, she prayed to the Lord, and she wept in anguish. She wept in anguish. In other words, she dealt with it with the Lord and sometimes uh, you can do that I'm not saying you can't sometimes you can do that alone you can get serious with God stop playing games and by yourself in your house you can come in contact with God and usher him into your life welcome him into your life at a new level and that healing can happen in your home without help from the outside I'm not saying that can't happen but um what you need to understand is that sometimes we do need some guidance and we do need some leadership. Here, Hannah, uh, she actually went to see the priest. Uh, she went to see the priest, Eli. He wasn't a very good one, but she went to see him and she's in the temple and she's at the altar and she's praying. Now, how do we know Hannah had a right relationship with God? Well, and we talked about this last week. First of all, Hannah was passionate. She was passionate. She was not passive 
She was passionate. Listen to me. If you're going to get healing, you've got to go get it. Healing doesn't just drift to you. You've got to go get it. The current of this world is going in the wrong direction. If you get what you need from God, and I'm not trying to paint the Christian life as something negative, it's not. I've got to tell you all something. I'd love Jesus and follow Jesus even if there were no heaven. Mm. I'm going to act like y'all didn't hear what I said, and I'm going to say it again. I would love and serve Jesus in this world because of the life he affords me now, even if at the end of my life there wasn't anything else. Amen. And, and so, and so um, she was passionate, and she was willing to go against the current, against the culture, against the flow of the world system. She was passionate, and we read about that in 1 Samuel 1.11. She was prayerful. Uh, 1 Samuel 1.12, uh, we went back to 1 Samuel 1.11 and talked about the vow, the promise that Hannah made. And it, it, it isn't enough to make a vow. you got to what? Keep it. you got to keep it. Matter of fact, the Bible says it would be better not to make it if you're not going to keep it. But she made vows, uh, 1 Samuel 1.11, and kept them. Now, here's what we want to talk about today. Here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about holiness today holiness we're going to talk about how that Hannah was not only passionate prayerful not only did she make a promise and keep it but she was a pure woman are y'all ready for some holiness preaching up in here today because I'm about to bring it we got to get back to right living ladies and gentlemen I'm going to call y'all out today. And when I call you out, who else am I calling out? Pastor Farrell. Starts right here. It always starts right here with me. So I'm calling us out to purity. 1 Samuel 1, 12 through 16. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord, and Eli watched her mouth, now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Now last week I preached to y'all that her voice was heard. I hadn't read verse 13 very closely because it says she wasn't heard. Hey, listen, when I preach something, you check me out. Amen? Amen? Because really I knew all, I was just going to see if y'all knew. Sometimes I throw something out there to see if y'all say amen to it. And you do, and I'm like, no, nope, that's not right. So, check out every preacher you listen to. Amen? Even your pastor who's been your pastor for 21 years. I am a man. You always check out any preacher who preaches anything to you. And the preacher who says you don't need to check me out, check him out twice. Amen? Y'all with me? So I said Hannah's prayer was out loud last week. And then I read this verse and said, okay, dude, you got to tell them. It wasn't out loud. Now Hannah, I got excited. Sometimes I get excited. <laughs> now Hannah spoke in her heart and only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. So the first reaction of her pastor 
The first reaction of the man that she went to get advice from. Here is this woman with layers of wounding. So she goes to church to get some help from her pastor. And he says this to her. He says, you're drunk. I mean, that's the kind of pastor you want, isn't it? You're praying passionately to the Lord. His first thought is, you've been hitting the bottle, sister. Look at verse 14. So Eli said to her, (laughs) what a doofus. Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Now, Hannah, i got to tell you something, man. She's got all this on her. She hasn't gone brave hard on anybody yet. I think if there's going to be a time, this would have been it. Don't you? I mean, karate kid. <laughs> Young people going, who? Okay. But Hannah answered and said, look at the respect. I've I got to tell you, this woman walked with God. This woman was an incredible, amazing woman of God. Because I want you to look at the respect she gives to this man, not necessarily because he personally deserves that respect, but because of his role, because of his position as priest. She says, no, my Lord. No, my Lord. Can I just say something? I pray God. I know I'm a man and Hannah was a woman, but I pray God will give me that spirit. I pray God will give me that spirit, the spirit of Hannah, because I don't think I would have said, no, my Lord, right here. I think I would have said, my Lord, are you crazy? You know, but she said, no, my Lord. Look at the honor. Look at the respect. No, my Lord, I am a woman I haven't been drinking. I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I'm I'm wounded. I'm hurt. She said, I want you to know, sir, that I have not drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, which means strong drink, liquor. I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. She goes on in verse verse 16 and says, Please, she's talking to the, pa- the pastor, the priest. She says, do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. For out of the abundance, out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken until now. She goes, now I'm having to talk to you since you interrupted my prayer. And I, I just want to tell you that up until the time you interrupted me, I've just been pouring out my heart to the Lord. I want you to notice something here. Now, we're just going to talk about holiness today, okay? I want you to notice that drinking, alcohol usage is mentioned right here. And then she goes on to say in verse 16 in relation to him thinking that she was drinking and getting drunk, she said, please don't consider your maidservant a wicked woman. So we're going to talk about drinking today. Y'all ready? Talk about some drinking? (laughs) 
Everybody who wasn't paying attention is now paying attention in the house of God. Because there is debate going on about whether Christians can drink or whether it's a sin for them to drink. And there are people who say to me, I can show you in the Bible, there is no scripture in the Bible who says it is a sin to consume alcohol. Well, see, then I could turn around and I could teach you a lesson on uh, how that the Bible uh, 99% of the time speaks negatively about alcohol. Have you ever noticed the word intoxicate? You know what the root word of intoxicate is? Toxic. I'm just saying. And so, and so I could show you where the Bible is warning, warning, warning about alcohol. You say, well, I could show you where uh, Paul said, drink some wine for the stomach's sake. I understand all that. So we could talk about and we could debate whether, you know, that's something a Christian ought to do or not. And we could t debate whether that is a sin or not for a Christian to consume alcohol in our culture. Y'all listening to me now, aren't you? But notice what she says. Notice, let's just go to the Bible. Let's don't go to Pastor Farrell. He accuses her of drinking. He accuses her of being drunk. She says she takes that as him considering her to be what kind of woman? Wicked. So she's just pouring out her heart to the Lord. She hadn't drunk any wine, no strong drink. And uh, she refrained from it all. Now let's talk about real quickly uh, legalism and liberalism. Both of those are binding. Both of those will bind you up. Legalism is when I have a personal conviction. Maybe the Bible doesn't spell it out that it's a conviction, that it's a, a sin for everybody, but for me it's a conviction. Legalism is when I live by my conviction, but I want to impose my conviction on you too. Are y'all with me? See, I may have a, a conviction about something that's not spelled out in the Bible as a sin, and you might not have a conviction about that. It's kind of based on where you were brought up, how you were brought up, and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? I have to abide by my conviction. You can't go. If the Holy Spirit convicts your heart about something, even if it isn't spelled out in the Bible, if the Holy Spirit convicts your heart about something, then you've got to abide by that conviction because to go against something the Holy Spirit is convicting you about would be a sin to you. Okay? But what would be a sin to me is if I had a personal conviction, what does the Bible say? Work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. So, so if that's a personal conviction for me, and then I get up here and superimpose that on everybody and go, because God convicts me of that, I want everybody to live by my conviction. And if you don't live by my personal conviction, then you're sinning too. That, ladies and gentlemen, is legalism. That is one form of legalism. But then there's liberalism that says... We're covered by grace. We're covered by grace. I mean, the grace of God covers us. No matter what we do, God is there to forgive, and he loves us, and blah, blah, blah. And Paul said about that, so grace abounds, therefore should sin also abound. Do you all remember the two words he answered that question with? God what? Forbid. So Paul said just because we do live under grace and we don't live under the law anymore, that is not a license to do anything you want to do. So let's talk about today conviction of sin. 
I believe that one of the greatest things the church needs today is a revival of the conviction of sin. As I look at the church, and I'm not just talking about our church, but as I look at the church as a whole, I mean evangelical, Bible-believing, Christ-centered churches. I am disturbed deep in my spirit about standards that used to be strong in the church. I'm not talking about legalisms. I'm talking about standards of purity and righteousness, watching those things crumble and melt away as we put an emphasis on experience beyond an an emphasis on purity. We talk about our experiences in the church. We talk about uh, experiences we have. We talk about good things we do. And I think sometimes we think that if we will do enough good things, that it will cover up any of the other stuff we do. And we think God's up in heaven with this big scale, and if we can do more good things than bad things, we're cool. We're good. And I think that is dangerous, dangerous thinking. I stand here before you. Um deeply concerned about a lowering of standards in the church. I'm very concerned about it. And uh, God has been just dealing with me in my private time about how that we have no right to ask for his power if we're not going to also serve him in purity and in righteousness and holiness. Let's look at some scriptures. Now, these scriptures aren't going to be up on the screen. Because these are scriptures that God gave me when I thought I was through in my sermon. So I didn't get them up on the screen. So I want you to jot down these references and I want you to read them on your own when you get home. Now listen to this. Proverbs 16.2. People may think all their ways are pure. Proverbs 16.2. People may think all their ways are pure, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Motives. 5.8, Matthew 5.8, Matthew 5.8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Now I got to tell y'all, I was counting on seeing God. Anybody here counting on seeing God one day? Well, the Bible says if I'm going to see God, I got to be pure in heart. Philippians 1, 9 through 11, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may, listen, listen to this church, here's, what I, here, here's the part I'm going to nail down today, so that you might be able to discern what is not right. He, he doesn't say, I want you to be able to discern what is right. He doesn't say he wants us to be able to discern what is good. He says here in Philippians 1, 9 and through 11 that he wants us, Paul is praying for his church, that the church would be able to discern what is best. What is best. So let's talk about, let's talk about, um, and, and I used alcohol because alcohol is in the sermon today. It's in the Bible. It's in this message today. But let's not just relegate it to alcohol. There's a lot of things you might be able to say, listen carefully, it's my right. It's my right to do that. 
Because that's what we hear in our society today over and over and over is I got the right. You can't take my right. I got rights. And that kind of thinking has creeped into the church. Well, let me talk to you about rights and what Paul had to say about it. Now, I'm not going to read this passage because we'll be here all day. But I want you to note 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 18. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 18. Now, if you've got your Bible, don't go there and start reading that or you're going to miss what I have to say. Just write that down and read it when you get home. Let me tell you what was going on right there. There was uh, pagans in that day offering meat to idols. They were offering meat. I mean good meat. I'm talking about on the grill meat. I'm talking filet mignon, or as my uncle said, fillet mignon. Amen. I don't care what you call it, just bring me some. And so they would offer this meat to their pagan gods. Then after the offering had been given, they would take the meat and take it down to the to the uh, marketplace and sell it. And because it had kind of been handled and used, maybe the price was a little lower. I went to Sam's the other day, and I always like to look at the filet mignon. I can't afford it, but I like to look at it. I just take it up and look at it. And people go, what are you doing, Pastor Farrell? I'm looking at this meat. I'm trying to figure out, and I'm praying for God to give me some. I'm trying to make London broil, which is about $2.99 a pound, if you can find Tastes like filet mignon, amen. So far it ain't working, but I'm working on it. I believe you can pray over it and God can, amen, y'all with me? Some round steak, you know. Tastes like filet mignon, just for God's people. So, so some of the Christians are going down to the market and they're going, whoa, filet mignon, three ninety-nine a pound, getting me some of that. And they were buying that meat that had been offered to idols and they were bringing it back home, firing up the grill, baking some potatoes. I don't know about all that. That's what I do, amen. And so some of the other Christians heard about what these Christians were doing and they went to Paul and said, that's not right. It's not right to eat meat that's been offered to a, God, a pagan god. <clears throat> so Paul went back to the Christians who had bought the meat and were eating it. He said, hey guys, listen up. You got the right to do that. He said, it's not a sin. I don't know if y'all expected Paul to say that to them. But Paul looked at them and said, it's not a sin. He said, you can eat this, and it won't be a sin. He said, but you know what? He said, there are some younger Christians and some weaker Christians, and they don't really understand that. that They don't understand the grace of God in that. They don't understand all that. And it's causing them to be offended, and it's causing them to stumble. He says, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. He said, I'm going to ask you not to eat that meat so we don't cause other people to stumble. I'm preaching now. 
Because you see, mature Christians aren't primarily concerned about their right to do something. They're primarily concerned about the growth of the kingdom. And they're primarily concerned about other people. Let me, let me just say something to you. If you're doing things that you've got a right to do and you've got an attitude that says, I don't care what nobody thinks about that. I don't care what they think about that. It isn't in the Bible. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm telling you something. That's a bad spirit. And, and the thing you're doing may not be a sin, but that spirit is wrong. You, you don't choose what you do and what you don't do just by how it affects you. You think of others before you make decisions. Now, if you're not a very mature Christian, it's hard to handle what I'm preaching here today. Because there are people sitting here right now listening to me going, you know what, I am, I'm not going to let people rule my life. I, I'm not. Paul said, I know what your rights are. He said, you have every right to go to the marketplace and buy this meat and eat it and tell these other Christians you're ignorant, you're stupid, you don't understand the Bible. You're creating some legalistic law, and I'm not going to abide by your legal. Paul said, you got every right to do that. You can do that. You can eat this meat. It will not be held against you as a sin. But Paul said, I'm going to ask you for the growth of the kingdom, for the betterment of the kingdom. Listen to this. Listen to this. For, the, for your own personal testimony that you don't do this thing so that your testimony, when you speak, because you never know when you're speaking to a young Christian who doesn't know much about the Bible. You don't ever know if you're, you're um, doing something in front of somebody who may stumble by because of what you're doing. So I'm not going to stand up here and list things you can do and list things you can't do. Here's what I want you to do. Here's my challenge for you this morning in this church. Is that you will press into God like Hannah did. And when you press into God like Hannah did and you walk in intimacy with God the way Hannah walked in intimacy with God, you're not going to need a preacher to say, don't do that. The Holy Spirit will convict your heart. Here's what's wrong in the church. We are so anemic spiritually. Now, I'm not talking about y'all, but that next group coming in the next service... The church is so anemic spiritually and so ignorant often and illiterate with the Word of God, we don't even sense conviction where we ought to be sensing conviction, not because we have a right to do something, but because of how it might affect the life of someone else and cause them to stumble. So he says in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, he said, I want you to be able to discern what is best. What is best. So I'm just putting it out there. I'm just putting it out there. I'm not going to be one of those preachers that's going to tell you, uh, you know, how long something needs to be in your clothing and how low is too low up here. I'm not going to be that kind of preacher that gets up and talks about that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you, when you dress to look in the mirror and go, is this dress going to help my testimony or hurt it? I want you, when you say, I've got the right to drink this or I've got the right to do that and I can do it in public and it don't make any difference, I want you to ask yourself, are you ready to stand before God one day 
with the fact that you did what you had the right to do or do you want to stand before him one day and go, you know what, Lord, I was gladly willing to give up some things that I personally didn't think were wrong, but I knew it might cause somebody to stumble, so I gave that up. I'm just putting it out there. You work that out with God. You work that out with God. We got people telling us here in this church that, that uh, you can uh, live together and lay together and have sex without marriage. And we got people telling us you can uh, work all that out with, with God. And even though it's a fornication and a sin for everybody else, they've got this little side deal worked out with God where God's told them it's cool. It ain't cool. Y'all love me? Thank you. I feel like that was most everybody, don't y'all? <laughs> I don't want to see how far I can live away from God and still make it to heaven. I just run into people all the time. They act like to me they wanted to see how far they can live from God and still get there. Some of y'all want to get to heaven like I passed algebra. The mercy of a teacher who said, I don't believe I can stand him another year. So I'm going to pass him. Parentheses in math? Come on, seriously. <laughs> do y'all do understand what I'm saying? He said, I want you to be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless so you'll be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. We're in Philippians 1, 9 through 11. He said, I want you to be church, I want you individual Christians to discern what is best so that when you stand before the Lord on the day of Christ, he's talking about judgment day, he says, I want you to be pure and blameless. Not only in what you did and didn't do, but your motives. I got my rights. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is the kingdom and how what we do affects other people. He says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You don't live righteously because you write down all the do's and write down all the, do all the don'ts and get up every morning and make sure you've memorized all the do's and don'ts. You can't memorize all the do's and don'ts. Here's what you need to do. Get close to Jesus, and when you're about to do something you ought not to do, he'll go, don't. And you're about to do, not do something you should do, he'll go, you need to do that. We can't memorize all the do's and don'ts. See, that's like Old Testament law. They had to know the law, know the particulars of the law. We, because of the cross and the empty grave, have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the one, if we press into him, who will say, don't do that. But my preacher said, I don't care what your preacher said, Jesus will say. I'm telling you, don't. Because see, when we do something, guys, it's not just about what it affects right then, but where's that thing going to take us? I mean, if I decide to do something I got the right to do, there's several questions I need to ask myself. Where will this lead me? I mean, I can do this and it's not a sin, but where is it going to take me eventually? Is this pointing me to God to do this? Or is it pointing me more away from God to do this? 
That's between you and God. Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Do everything. I know, I know some of y'all are sitting here going, hey, man, preach it, bruh. I don't drink. I don't commit adultery. Preach it. All right, listen to this. Do everything without grumbling. <laughs> I'm all up in your grill now, ain't I? <laughs> Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I know people who don't drink, people who don't commit adultery, but they're just as mean as a devil. Amen. Oh, did I mention some of them go to church? I'm going to stop right there. Uh, Because the next thing I was going to say I don't think was anointed. Okay. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. And I love this. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Is that us? We are children of God in a warped and crooked generation, aren't we? Now, if we look what he says here in Philippians 2, 14 through 16. He says, if we will not grumble and argue, if we will make sure because of our relationship with God that we're blameless and pure, if we will make sure of all that in this crooked, warped generation, listen to this, listen, then you will shine. This is in the Bible. Then you will shine. See, when we try to be like the world and still make it to heaven, we don't shine. It is when we come apart, when we separate ourselves. I'm not talking about isolation. You know we're all out in the community, but I'm talking about you don't have to become like them to win them. He says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. He's talking about the Bible. He's talking about the lifestyle Jesus modeled. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ. He says, as a pastor, I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that as a pastor, I did not run or labor in vain because Paul understood it's about changed lives. I'm going to tell you something. Any God who doesn't change my behavior and change the way I think is not the true and living God of the Bible. When you meet the true and living God of the Bible, you're going to change. You're going to change. Um, <clears throat> I wrote this scripture down real fast. I've got Timothy 2, 22 through 23. I have no idea if it's 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy. Hey, people, do some Bible study on your own. This is in one of the Timothys. In chapter 2, verses 22 through 23, and I've said this in every sermon and haven't fixed this yet. Look what, look what Paul says to Timothy. Flee the evil desires of youth. Do what to evil desires? Some battles are fought best with your hat. Grab it and run. Run. I am a child of God. I will stand in the midst of this perversion and temptation and I will overcome. Sometimes you just need to run. The Bible says don't put yourself in a place where you are likely to be pulled in. Run from it. You remember when Joseph and Potiphar's wife 
Joseph was good looking. I don't know what Potiphar's wife looked like. Could have been like, huh. I don't know what she looked like. But she wanted him, buddy. And when Potiphar left, she went after Joseph. Y'all remember that story in Genesis? And the Bible says, I love the King James Version. The Bible says he got him out. <laughs> he got out. Joseph didn't stay and say, I am, I am the son of, I am the descendant of Abraham, and I am this great man of God. He got out of the house. I don't know whether he got out because she was, huh, or because she was tempting to him. I, it was probably the latter, that she was a very beautiful woman making herself available to him. The Bible says he ran. There are people sitting here right now, and you know the enemy's after you in some area, and you keep playing around with that rattlesnake. You know what you need to do? You need to run. Playing around with temptations like playing around with a rattlesnake, poking it with a stick, it will bite you. Flee the evil desires of youth. i got to hurry. And pursue righteousness and faith. Pursue love and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Facebook. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> because you know, saith the Lord, that Facebooketh. produces quarrels amen <laughs> amen uh, James three seventeen. but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure pure then peace loving and considerate of others not demanding your rights but submissive wisdom that comes from heaven is full of mercy full of good fruit. I'm reading right out of the Bible. Wisdom that comes from heaven is impartial. No big eyes and little U's in the kingdom. It's impartial. It's sincere. Okay, I gotta, I gotta hurry here. The fifth thing Hannah was was not just pure, but she was patient. Like y'all have been this morning. <laughs> 1 Samuel 1.18, and she said, this is the last thing in her prayer. This is the last thing in her prayer. You know, when Eli was looking at her because her mouth was moving, this is the last thing she said. She said to God, she said, let thy handmaid find grace in thy sight. Amen. Then the Bible says, so the woman went her way, that is Hannah, went her way, and she did eat because she hadn't been able to eat. And her countenance, I love this, was what? No more sad. No more sad. And she did eat. Glory. Because <laughs> when you are carrying a burden on you that belongs to God, but you're carrying it, it will mess you up. And she was messed up because she hadn't yet unloaded this thing on God. She obeyed the Hebrew scripture, even though it hadn't been written yet in the book of Hebrews, when she came to understand, I can cast my care on him, for he careth for me. And some people are Christians, but they're still carrying their own burdens. You're like the guy who got picked up on the wagon. He had this big old bag on his back. 
The man picked him up. He sat down on the seat in the wagon and continued to hold the bag on his back. The man said, you can put your bag down in the back of the wagon. He said, oh, no, sir, you're carrying me. I couldn't ask you to carry my bag as well. See, that's like God. He doesn't want to only save you and get you to heaven. He wants you to unload your, your burden. And, and Hannah comes and unloads her burden on the Lord. And when she unloaded her burden on the Lord, she got her appetite back. And when she unloaded her burden on the Lord, her countenance was no more sad. Now she has a joyful countenance. Can I ask you something? When she got up from that altar, was she pregnant with a child? No. Here's my point. God didn't give her everything she asked for that instant. She just knew he heard her. And she knew she had said, God, I can't handle this. My frame is not made to handle this. I'm giving this to you. And when she turned that thing over to God, her countenance was no more sad. Y'all seen Christians who look like they got baptized in lemon juice? I mean, the night that the baptistry was filled, it was just filled up with that artificial lemon juice, you know, and they had that look on their face ever since, like they got baptized in vinegar. One old preacher said he's seen Christians in the church and their face is so long they could eat peas out of the bottom of a quart jar. That's a long face, isn't it? Have y'all seen people like that in the church? Don't point. <clears throat> it's the worst advertisement for Jesus there is. What's wrong with you? I'm saved. <laughs> Don't you want Jesus too? The guy at Walmart's happier than you. Amen? That's one of the worst things in the world perpetrated on the world today to hurt the church is sour, bitter Christians who won't turn their wound over to God so they carry that bitterness in them and that acid that's inside of them just spills out on people and hurts people all the time. The church is filled with that because people say, I want to get to heaven, but I'll handle my own issues. Thank you. You can't handle your own issues. Hannah poured them out to God. She got up. She said, I'm going to Bojangles. <laughs> got a big old smile on her face because she understood that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. And some of you sitting right here today are waiting some of you are waiting, and you think like the missionary told me one time. He said, I know God put me here, but I think he forgot where he put me. And you're waiting, and you've been waiting a long time, and you think you have slipped God's mind. I assure you, you have not. Wait in prayer. Wait in strength. You say, I've been done wrong. Huh. I guarantee you nobody's ever hurt you more than you hurt Jesus because you hung him on a cross. You got to bring that hurt and let God heal that hurt. What happened? Well, what happened was that um, the result of it was that, that uh, Hannah's um, blessing, a blessing came to Hannah. and She, she, had, uh, she became pregnant. Let's read it. I'm going to read it to you, 1 Samuel 1.19. And they rose up in the morning early. That's just a suggestion. I'm so glad the Bible don't command that. Amen. 
<laughs> and worshiped the Lord before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah. All right. <laughs> Say, what does that mean? Go home and look it up. Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And you remember what she prayed for last week? Lord, remember me. Look what it says here. It says, and the Lord remembered her. And the Lord remembered her. When it came to pass, when the time was come, about after Hannah had conceived, that she bore a son and called his name Samuel. And the name Samuel means heard by God. Answered prayer. I mean, she went around the house. Hey, answered prayer. Get in here and eat your breakfast. Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord, and the Lord gave it. So what was the result? The results answered prayer. See, we won't answer prayer, but we don't want to be passionate. We won't answer prayer, but we don't want to pray. We won't answer prayer, but we want to make promises to God and not keep them. We won't answer prayer, but we don't want to live pure. We won't answer prayer, but we don't want to be patient. See, these were the qualities in Hannah's life, and because she had these qualities, her prayers got answered. And then the Bible says she rejoiced, 1 Samuel 2, 1 and 2, and that's that scripture we read last week where she said, I rejoice in the Lord. My strength is increased in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Listen to me now. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, none, nor is there any rock like our God. And that's just verses 1 and 2 of 1 Samuel 2. That's just verses 1 and 2. She goes right on down through verse 10 just praising God because he answered her prayer. Elizabeth did that when she knew John the Baptist was coming. Mary did it when she knew Jesus was coming. <clears throat> wow, what a sermon. <laughs> Calling us out for some holiness in the house. We need a revival of purity. We need a revival of patience. We need a revival of holiness. We need a revival of righteousness. You have no right to call on the power of God if you're not going to make yourself available that he purify you. God doesn't pour his power in dirty vessels. We've got to get clean, church. We've got to get clean in our, in our actions, in our words, in our thoughts. But you can't get clean on your own. You don't get clean by willpower. You get clean by bringing it to Jesus. We pray for a revival of conviction. Thank you, Father, for your word today. We're going to open this altar, Lord, and we just ask you to keep it sacred for us this morning. And I pray that our prayer team, God, they know to come and our staff knows to come. And Father, we're going to just pray for people. If anybody's here today who wants to come to know you as their personal Savior, we're going to pray with them. There are going to be people who are going to turn to walk out of this building, and you're going to say, but I need you to go to the altar. I pray they will obey you. I pray they will obey you and do what you say. Don't walk out this morning. Don't walk out. Come to the altar. Let us pray for you. Let us minister to you. God wants to give you that joyful countenance. He wants you to be no more sad. No more sad. Thank you, Father, for this day. In Jesus' name. And everybody said?